minutes, but we've made it to a very pivotal uh, text today, one of my favorite texts in this section of, of Mark, uh, because this is a, a section having to do with kids. Um, I want to tell one of my favorite jokes about children. Um, I heard this joke and thought it was just a classic. Uh, so a salesperson calls a home looking to talk to one of the adults in the house. This was old school, like still had phones in the house. Answer the phone. Um, some of you may need to have your parents explain what that was all about, but there was a time where most people had a phone in their house that was connected to wires and all these things. Who still has one of those? A few of you out there. Okay. Um, and so this, this man calls this house, and this little kid answers, and um, he says, Hello, son, may I talk to your dad? Um, or as he said, is your dad there? And this little boy replies, Yes, may I speak to him? No, he's not available. Well, is your mom there? Yes, may I speak to her? No, she's unavailable. Why is she unavailable? Well, she's busy. Well, is there anybody else there? Well, there's a, a police officer here. A police officer, Wow. Uh, well, may I get the police officer on the phone because I need to kind of find out what's going on? No. Uh, well, why not? Well, he's busy. Well, is there anyone else there? Well, there, there's a, a, a fire fireman here too. Uh, well, a fireman's there? Yes. Well, now the guy's, you know, worried. So he's like, well, can I talk to the fireman? I'm really concerned here. I need to know what's going on. Um, is the fireman available? No, sir. May I speak to him? No, why? He's busy. Well, son, your dad is there and busy. Your mom is there and busy. A police officer is there and busy. A fire person is there and busy. Uh, what are they doing? Looking for me. <laughs> love that kid's joke. Um, it's so, like, relatable, right? Um, I love uh, kids. I've had four of them, and they all, through every season, every stage of their lives, always say, this is my favorite and um, but just things happen all the time with kids unexpected. They make us laugh. Uh, this week, even Levi, I heard him yell from his room uh, before school one morning, All I have are handsome shorts. I need some not handsome shorts. What he means by that is I want to wear athletic shorts to school, but the only thing that is in here are shorts I have to wear to church, Right? That's the translating that for you. So he wanted not handsome shorts to wear. Um, I, I love kids. Uh, every stage is a blessing. One of the one of the good apps in social media, as complicated as they are. One of my favorite apps is the Time Hop app, which jumps back to one year, two year, three year, four years, uh, whatever, and pulls up your pictures and your social media. And it's always a almost a daily reflection on how your kids grow and. Uh, develop and fun times and memory. So I love kids. Most of us love kids, and then they become teenagers. Mark Twain once said, the best way to raise a kid is to put the kid in a barrel, right, and put a lid on the top and just have a hole for the kid to breathe and put food through. And then when they become a teenager, plug the hole. That was Mark Twain's interpretation of raising kids, but I love kids, and I love that in our text, Jesus loves kids. He holds them in high regard, which was the opposite of the culture in which he lived. Now, it wasn't like our day and age. Um, I saw an author that penned a book in recent years um, called Kinderarchy. Kinderarchy, that means the rule, archy, the rule of children. 
Uh, we live in a culture that kids are esteemed and get their way and take prominence in our houses, and we make all of our decisions uh, through the lens of our kids. So maybe the pendulum has swung in a little bit of an unhealthy way um, in our modern times. But in the ancient world, there was the opposite of this. They did not have a romanticized view of children at all. In their outlook, um, kids added no value. In short, kids simply did not count. They did not matter. Their identity and their worth were based solely on their gender and their relationship to their father. Sons were considered a blessing for two reasons. They continued the family name for another generation, and they added to the workforce. That was it. That was the only reason that any child was valued for any reason. Six out of ten kids during this era of human history died from natural causes or brutality, a lot of different ways that they would die, but only a 40% survival rate if you were a child. They were the lowest on the social economic scale. They were insignificant, unimportant, no rights. They were unwanted children, and they were simply disregarded most of the time um, if a parent did not want them or they were the wrong sex when they were born, they were simply disregarded and had to fend for themselves. They were often forced to become beggars or prostitutes or gladiators or street thieves. They were vulnerable and they were voiceless. As a matter of fact, if you search into Jewish or even early Christian literature, you will not find the level of compassion for children that Jesus exhibits in our text today. As we've said week after week after week in Mark's gospel, the invitation into kingdom living, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus in our hearts and lives, kingdom living was opposite in many ways of the culture around it and in our culture today. Before we jump into the text, it's important to remember that what Jesus has to say here about children follows his teaching on marriage and divorce. It's often the kids who many times suffer the most severe consequences, it seems, in marriage and divorce. By the way, last week's message was not an easy one for me to preach, and so many of you were so encouraging about that, and um, you've been faithful to encourage others to listen to it. It's already one of our most listened to uh, messages of all time, and so thank you for the encouragement of that. Um, I hope it was encouraging for all of us and challenging for all of us at the same time. And right after coming off of that subject, Jesus turns to uh, the, the context of kids. Remember, all of this is within the bigger framework of what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus, to live under the rule and reign of Jesus? So let's dive into our text. We'll walk through this line by line, and then we'll bring it together in the end. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. So here's the scene. The parents are bringing their children to Jesus so that he might touch them. Now, don't think like sit on Santa's lap and tell him what you wish for. Uh, no. Mark has repeatedly emphasized that Jesus has compassion and touches the ones in society that are often considered unimportant or unclean. Same thing with kids. Kids were considered insignificant 
and unimportant. And so they bring the kids to Jesus, and Jesus is embracing them and hugging them and um, spending time with them. Again, this is unheard of for a rabbi. It's unheard of for a rabbi to, to practice, uh, to, to be around those considered unclean or unimportant. And we can, we can see that by how the disciples react, right? They bring their children to Jesus, and the disciples step in like uh, religious kind of bouncers and rebuke them is the word. And this word rebuke is a strong word. Um, it's used other places in Mark's gospel for exorcisms, to rebuke a demon, right, to be cast out of someone. It's also used for those who oppose God's will, that they are rebuked. And sometimes it's used just for outright denial. So this is like a strong word of rebuke. They see themselves as these kind of gatekeepers trying to protect Jesus. In the minds of the disciples, children are not worth the time of Jesus. They're not worth his time. The disciples, again, trending here in Mark's gospel, they're displaying the same attitude, this elitist, exclusive attitude that we just saw back in chapter 9 uh, when they were rebuking the unnamed exorcist, right? They saw this guy casting out demons in Jesus' name, and John's like, Jesus, don't worry. I put him in line. I told him to stop that. Once again, Jesus is not pleased with their attitude and their approach. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. When Jesus sees what is happening, the word is translated here, he is indignant. This is the only time this word is used in all of the Gospels. And it means extreme sense of frustration and righteous anger toward what he sees happening. I'll be at the pause button here to say, what we get angry about reveals a great deal about what we value. What we get angry about reveals a great deal about what we value. So the question is, what makes me angry? What makes me angry? What makes me rise up in life? What gets me angry reveals my heart at some level. It for sure reveals the things that I treasure the most, right? Just, we use this language sometimes at City Church. It's an idol indicator. It indicates what's sitting on the throne of my heart, what makes me angry. And that could be a lot of things. I've been having to deal, since we moved, I've been having to deal with initially poor internet issues, which is important. My job outside of City Church is very internet reliant, and so poor internet just sets me back, right? And so, and then this week, we're having some work done around our house that involves digging, and the plumber that's been digging around my house, all of a sudden my internet cuts off, and guess what happened? Cut my, finally, after we got Spectrum working like it should, cut my Spectrum cable. All right, I responded with the joy of Christ in that moment. Why did I get angry? I got angry because it impacts my time, my effectiveness. These are the things that I treasure. 
when I'm at home and working. That's why it makes me angry. It wasn't, woohoo, inconvenience. No, it was like, you understand what has to happen now? And then to top it all off, you call Spectrum, like, I need, like, I'm, I survive on the internet. Like, you guys have to come out. Can we squeeze you in three weeks from tomorrow? No, you can't. You can squeeze me in tomorrow. But so the things that we treasure are the things that make us angry. So when your heartbeat is racing highly because you're unsure if Alabama's going to score, when the greatest coach of all time potentially in college football calls a play, and you know better than Nick Saban why that should not be the play that was called, and you get angry about it, these are the things that we treasure, right? These are, and, there's, and again, there's nothing wrong with valuing certain things. It's all about where do, they, where do they measure up in our walk with Jesus, but it opens our heart up, doesn't it? The things that we get angry about reveal what's going on on the inside. Jesus got angry because children were being refused to come to him. And here's his response, do not forbid them from coming, and then he repeats it, but let them come. And the the translation here actually means let them keep on coming, continually come to me. Do not prevent them now or ever from coming to me. Jesus gives his time and attention to people that the disciples consider unworthy of his time and attention. Jesus gives his time and attention to the people the disciples believe are unworthy of the time and attention of Jesus. He welcomes those they want to stiff arm, to keep out. I love this phrase that Jesus uses, let them come. I love this phrase because it reveals the heart of Jesus for the insignificant and the unimportant. Let them come. Voiceless, let them come. Vulnerable, let them come. Ignored, let them come. Neglected, let them come. How relevant is that message still for us in 2022? Wherever you're at in life, whatever's going on in life, the call of Jesus is come. Let them come. Luke, Luke goes out of his way in his gospel to tell stories uh, in this regard. He tells one um, that I'll, I'll read just a few verses from, Luke chapter 14. It's often called the story, the parable of the great banquet. And in this story, this is just Luke 14, 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. And we pause and say, isn't that the reason that we invite them? So that we can get repaid, right? And Jesus says, no. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus says, let the poor come. Let the blind come. Let the vulnerable come. And the voiceless come to me. I will give my time and attention to those that society wants to ignore and push into the background. Rather than forbidding children from coming, Jesus even goes so far as to say, they are the true heirs of the kingdom of God. 
the insignificant, the unimportant, and the helpless are those who make up the kingdom of God. And then he takes it a, a step further in verse 15. Truly, and this is an emphasis word, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So Jesus says to enter God's kingdom, one must receive it like a child. Now it's common to interpret Jesus' words here in terms of kind of the virtuous qualities found in children. So sometimes you'll hear uh, people say that the idea here is that you have to be uh, innocent or trusting or humble or pure, right? Kind of these virtuous qualities of kids. The problem with that interpretation is the virtue-based approach of entering God's kingdom based on our own virtues or values is the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches and demonstrates about the kingdom and how to enter the kingdom. You see, if you didn't know this or not, kids not only have some of those virtuous qualities, but they are also demanding. And they are also selfish. And they are stubborn. And they can be sulky. And they can be disobedient. And they can be thankless. Oh, wait, is this only my kids I'm talking about? No, we get this, right? You have some conversation along those lines, along those traits, probably almost every day with your children at some level. As a matter of fact, we use a phrase for people who are post-childhood that display those type of characteristics, that you are displaying what type of behavior? Childish behavior. So as awesome as kids are, as much as their virtues are innocent and pure at times, they are also little sinners. What Mark reminds us of again and again in his narrative is that Jesus does not call the righteous. He calls the unrighteous. He does not call the clean, he calls the, uh, calls the unclean. It's not the deserving, but the undeserving. The point of the text is that children have no leverage, they have no rank, they have no influence, they have no rights. Jesus is not spotlighting the qualities of children for us to emulate. He is emphasizing the children themselves that the children are invited not based on what they have, but based on what they do not have, what they lack. The kids, particularly in this context, this cultural context, bring nothing to the table. Children can only come as they are, small and powerless and overlooked and neglected. They offer no credit. They offer no claim. They offer no clout. They offer no control. The kids even needed someone to bring them to Jesus. What Jesus gives these children is sheer grace based on sheer need. This is the good news announcement of the kingdom that God 
offers pure grace. So do not miss the point of this text that we are the children. We are not innocent and eager and humble and pure. We are, like the disciples, slow to believe. We are often hard-hearted. We are undeserving of his love. It's how we come to God. It's how we enter the kingdom. We are reminded it is grace and grace and grace alone. Come like children, helpless, in need, dependent upon the king of the kingdom. Verse 16, round out our text for the day. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us in our context. Maybe, according to how you were raised, the laying his hands on them might. But in this context, here's what that means. Jesus does more than touch the children. He blesses the children. He takes them in his arms and hugs them. He blesses them. So blessings were a historic part of Israel's customs. Um, to, to bless someone, uh, particularly generationally, often fathers blessing their sons, to bless them was to pass on, to pass on your name, to pass on your property, to secure their identity and their future. And so Jesus displays a tangible expression of God's unconditional and undeserved love and favor for those that were neglected and ignored and overlooked. And so in kingdom living, we've seen it again and again, Jesus rebukes those at the top of the social strata and he blesses those who are at the bottom. It is upside down kingdom living. To gain, we give. To be glorified, we walk through suffering. Kingdom living. So let me just bring this together with a few reminders from this text. The first thing I would say from this text that's important for us is that children matter to Jesus. Children matter to Jesus and they should matter to to us. I love that kids want to hang out with Jesus in the Gospels. They didn't feel unwanted. They didn't feel like they were bothering him. They didn't feel like they were invading on his time. Kids loved to hang out with Jesus. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to be around him because he was full of compassion and kindness toward kids. Some of his most stern rebukes are for those who neglect or dismiss children. We should be a church that loves children. Let me say it this way. We should be a church that loves children and not just those who show up every week at City Church. We should be a church that loves the kids who are not here, the kids who do not have a dad and mom to bring them to church, to love on them, to invest in their lives. Jesus values children, and so should we. So how that kind of breaks down for us as a church is a number of ways. We do want to be faithful to create environments that kids can come and 
hear about Jesus and connect to other kids their age and have uh, teachers that love them and invest in them. I just encouraged our um, city kids workers this morning in their little pre-service huddle, like kids matter to Jesus. I'll be talking about in the next room, kids matter to Jesus. So when kids leave City Church today, help them to know two things, that they matter to Jesus and they matter to you. Love them and point them to Jesus. We want to create environments that emphasize that and pour into that, along with you as parents to come alongside and invest in them with these gospel opportunities to let them know that they matter and they matter to Jesus. It also means that as City Church, we partner with city organizations who love and help children. We're intentional with a lot of our strategic city partnerships to be invested in organizations that love kids and that help kids and uh, empower kids. And so a lot of our uh, volunteer time and our investment uh, goes toward organizations that emphasize uh, this. And so we want to be as a city, as city church, being in our city and for our city, we want to be strategic to come alongside organizations who are doing great things for kids and to partner with them. It also means that we want to serve the children in our neighborhood and we want to serve the kids in our school. Kids that may never step foot in the city church building, but that we want to show the love of Jesus to them as we seek out ways to serve the kids in our neighborhoods, kids in our schools. Kids matter. They matter to Jesus and they should matter to us. I don't want to ever, I don't ever want to lose sight of that as a church. I want to put that before you all the time, that kids matter to Jesus. I've said it repeatedly, and I'll say it again right now because it's appropriate. God has given us a, a great space here, but if it ever becomes about this space, it doesn't become about the people in our community, right, then we've missed the mark. We have fallen short of God's call on us to be in a city and for a city. If we're more concerned about markers, right, mark, marker marks, Maybe I should have used a different word. Pen marks, pencil mark, crayon marks on the walls. Then we are the building itself. We've missed the mark. If we're concerned about Play-Doh stains in the carpet and those kids are destroying things, like we've missed it, right? Kids matter to Jesus, so they're going to matter to us. We're going to be stewards of our building, but we're going to emphasize and highlight people over building. We on the same page here? All right. Oh, that was like a very sparse Amen. Are we on the same page here? All right, just making sure. Not only do kids matter to Jesus, the second thing from our text is we realize everyone matters to Jesus, and they should matter to us. Everyone matters to Jesus. That's that's the bigger picture of what Jesus is teaching here, that all types of people are welcome into God's kingdom without any restrictions based on their gender or their ethnicity or their social class or their rights. As a matter of fact, the things that tend to divide us are the things that Jesus welcomed into his kingdom. These are the areas that tend to to create walls in our culture. Race and gender and social class, rights. What are the things that make us angry? These are the things that people gravitated toward Jesus. The kingdom of God is all-inclusive. It is diverse. It is beautiful. And all who come to the Savior are granted entrance. 
So here, here's, we'll just, we'll just call this kingdom ethics. How do we live this out? Don't, don't forget, part of living as kingdom citizens, kingdom ethics, here, here's kind of our baseline. Those who deserve nothing are given everything. Like that, that's our baseline as followers of Jesus. Those who deserve nothing are given everything in Christ. That's grace upon grace upon grace. We were beggars and rebels, and now we are citizens of a kingdom, a heavenly, eternal kingdom led by a good and gracious king. Beggars and rebels are now citizens of a kingdom, an eternal kingdom, led by a good and gracious king. And as a result of that, we should live our lives with open hands, serving and welcoming anyone and everyone. We should live life as if everyone matters. By nature, and I'm preaching to myself here, by nature we are drawn toward those who are most like us. That look like us, that like the things that we like, that vote like we vote, that have the kind of same values as us. We are drawn toward people who are like us. Us And then we read the story of Jesus and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus was drawn toward those who were the, were the most different than he was. As a matter of fact, those who were the most different from who Jesus was are drawn to him. People matter. Everyone matters to Jesus. So here's what that means. It means it for me and it means it for you if we're followers of Jesus. What that means is we must take intentional steps to move in the direction of those who are different than us. We can't wait for them. We must take intentional steps to move in the direction of those who are different than us. And if we're Echoing what we've been teaching for several weeks here about kingdom living, that means the marginalized and the ignored and the neglected and the forgotten, the vulnerable and the voiceless. So here's a challenging question for all of us. When is the last time that I loved on someone who is very different than me? When is the last time that I intentionally took the time and energy to love on someone who is very different than me? Am I embracing kingdom values, the values of Jesus? Everyone matters to Jesus, and they should matter to us. Here's how I would follow up with that challenge. You're unsure about all that? Well, I can't really think of anybody. Pray this prayer for a week. God, bring someone into my life who is very different than me that I can show the love of Jesus to them. Pray that prayer for a week, every day. Jesus, bring people into my life who are very different than me so I can show the love of Jesus to them. And then open your eyes. 
God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. So when we say intentional steps, that's intentionality, isn't it? Because my prayer will align my heart and it will align my eyes to begin to see and take notice of who God brings into my path that maybe I've neglected, overlooked, or dismissed in the past. Because everyone matters to Jesus. And then here's the last one for us this morning. You matter to Jesus. You matter to Jesus. What Jesus is saying in this text is not just let the children come. What he's saying, the big picture here, is let the helpless come to me. This is the ongoing invitation from Jesus to all of us. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And I like that we're not just invited to kind of meet Jesus, right? Shake hands with Jesus. Like, Hey, Jesus, meet Devin, Devin, Jesus, you guys shake hands. All right, now you know Jesus. It's not just shake hands with Jesus. We are invited into this relationship with Jesus. Jesus not only allows the kids to come to him, but he blesses them. He hugs them. He takes them in his arms. Coming to Jesus means that we become recipients, undeserved recipients of his blessings, of his grace, and everything that Old Testament meant about receiving a blessing uh, is fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. That means that we are given a name. We are given a place. We are given an identity. We are given a future in Jesus. We receive the kingdom blessings of Jesus. We are invited into more just a meet and greet. We are invited into a relationship with Jesus where he bestows the blessings of the kingdom upon those of us who are his children. Children, you matter to Jesus. We are recipients of his ongoing grace and goodness. So, you ever felt like you might be bothering Jesus with all your troubles? Come to him. Come and keep on coming, he says. You ever felt like, well, I'm just not in a season right now to be able to have a conversation with Jesus. I, I think he would turn me away. Come to him. Come to it. Jesus says, let them come and let them keep on coming. Are there voices, voices in your head that are trying to convince you that you're not worth coming to Jesus? Are there voices that are trying to keep you away from coming? Voices of shame, voices of guilt, voices of insecurity, voices of ignorance, right? Say to those voices, right, I'm coming to Jesus. Jesus invites me to come. Come to me, he says, and keep on coming. You're not going to exhaust me. You're not going to wear me out. Now, I'm not like Jesus in these areas. I can tell you. You keep coming, there's going to be a point. I'm like, dude, you need to find somebody else, or we need to find you some help. Jesus doesn't have a Devon attitude, I can tell you. Jesus says, come. Keep on coming. I was here yesterday. Come. I was here last week. Come. I was here a few minutes ago. Keep on coming. I was here last hour. Keep on coming. Jesus, I'm bringing the same thing I brought last week. Keep on coming. Come and keep on coming to Jesus. Let them come. So come. Come to him. Sins, habits, busyness, pride, secrets. What is it that is keeping you at arm's length from Jesus? Come to me, he says. Whatever it is, keep on coming. I will welcome you 
with open arms. As a matter of fact, if we read the story of the prodigal, not only does he say come, but what? He runs to us. Remember the story of the prodigal? Man, in the pig pen of life, I'm going home to daddy, but I'm not going to come as a kid. I've already, right, I've already, I've already crossed that bridge. I'm just going to go ask if I can be a slave, a servant. What happens? The father sees him in the distance and he runs to him. You're not my servant. You're my son. Bring the fatted calf. Bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. This is my child who was lost and has now come home. Come to him. I love that he invites the hard-hearted disciples and the helpless children. Come to me. So whatever is weighing you down, holding you back, hindering you or distracting you, bring it to Jesus. Here's the invitation. We read these verses frequently at City Church. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You ever felt that? You ever felt the weight? You ever felt the stress? You ever felt the weight of life? Come to me, Jesus said. Those who are heavy laden, those who are laboring, who are heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, not harsh Not ready to pour. Oh, here he comes again. He's going to catch it this time. I am gentle and lowly. I am eager, right? I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's who he is. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, as life weighs us down and we feel the burdens, as we feel the heaviness, Jesus says, come, come, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and find rest. Children matter to Jesus. Bring them to him. Everyone matters to Jesus. Bring, bring them. Bring everyone to Jesus. You matter to Jesus. Come. Come to him and find rest for your soul. Let's bow our heads for prayer.